Well, hello. Welcome to Parkview Church. My name is Wade, and a special greeting to North Campus. Today we are doing a video cast uh, to North Campus because Josh Casey is in Colorado with his family. Uh, Josh's father died this past week, and so uh, let us uh, continue to pray for his family and ask for the Lord's uh, comfort for them. Well, my name is, is Wade. I'm a pastor for college students here uh, at Parkview Church, and we're going to continue to worship Jesus as we look at John 6 today. John 6, so you can turn there right now in your Bibles if you want to. And uh, one thing that's essential to getting to know another person is using your words to communicate who you are. It's nearly impossible to understand the depth of a person if they do not reveal who they are through words. You can know some things about me by watching my behavior, but until I open my mouth and speak and tell you who I am, it's challenging to get to know who I really am. So what's interesting is if we think about it, one of the most consistent formulas for getting to know other people in our day and age uh, is first you tell your name. Hi, I'm Wade. Nice to meet you. The second thing, so first thing is name, second thing is occupation, okay? I am a fill in the blank, right? Well, I say, hi, I'm Wade, I'm a pastor. Sometimes that creates some awkward conversations from the get-go, that's for a different time. But here's the point, we oftentimes reveal who we are by communicating to others, I am what? And this is what we have in the Gospel of John. Today we begin a series with the I am statements of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, there's several I am statements that reveal who the person of Jesus is. It is him opening his mouth and telling you, telling me, telling the world who he is, his occupation, his mission, and what he's come here to accomplish. So the purpose of these I am statements in the Gospel of John is to convince us as readers to trust in who Jesus says he is, to trust in his word about himself. When he says, I am, Resurrection of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. We are to trust him and to receive him for who he is. We don't get to define who Jesus is. He defines himself to us. And we must bend the knee to how he reveals himself to us. So today we're focusing on the bread of life from John 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And we're looking at that in John 6. So if you're there, I'm going to start reading in verse 24, and I'm going to read down all the way to verse 35, and then we're going to pray together. Hear now the word of the Lord. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work, do not work, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal." And they said to him, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? So Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? 
Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the word of the Lord. It is true, and it is given to us in love. Pray with me. Father, as we approach your throne of grace and mercy, we come asking on behalf of the Casey family that you would comfort them in this time of grieving, that you would grant them strength and help by your Holy Spirit to walk the path that's before them. Lord, we also pray for Doug Fern as he is preaching at East Campus. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill him and empower him to preach Christ from John 6 to the hearts of our brothers and sisters at East Campus. And Lord, as we now turn to your word, we remember the words of the psalmist. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul longs for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've looked upon you in your sanctuary. Behold, you are your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My We are satisfied like a person eating rich food. So by the Holy Spirit, help us embrace these words as our own. Exalt Christ into our hearts by the Spirit. Help us believe all that you promise. Obey all that you command. Love all that you love for the sake of your son Jesus, our true bread. Amen. Amen. Well, here I have some bread, okay, in a little Ziploc baggie, okay? You see it? Bread, okay? Bread from hy V, but bread nonetheless. Now, if I eat this bread, which I will not, uh, it would satiate my appetite for a little bit, okay? It'd satisfy me for, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, okay? But then I'll be hungry again. And so then I will eat more of the bread, and then I will be hungry, and then I'll eat again, and I'll be hungry. I will eat and then become hungry. Eating bread, eating food, and then the the sense of being hungry a time afterwards, it's actually a picture of what so much of our life is like as humans, We are always looking, always hungering, always desiring to absorb, to consume, to experience something that will satisfy our deepest appetites and longings. Yet if we are honest, we have a deep hunger and we are not satisfied. We live in a culture of discontent. In his new and remarkable book, author Timothy Savage, his book's called Discovering the Good Life, He compiles a set of phrases from contemporary social critics and authors and musicians about how they describe the human experience of seeking satisfaction in life. And the results are pretty dim. It reveals a deep cynicism in our culture about if we can actually have the possibility of tasting satisfaction of life. Here are some of the the comments that are made from some of these social critics and musicians and authors. We are hollow men. 
We see our world and the tears roll down. Infinite sadness invades our souls. The world is turning very dark. Life is full of empty promises and broken dreams. Life is overrated. Life is a battle and mankind is generally unhappy. One person asked the question, is life even worth living? And the last one, the sooner we jump out of the window, the sooner we'll find peace. We are hungry. We are desiring something, but it's something nothing in this world can quite satisfy. And our culture realizes it as it expresses itself in deep cynicism, a deep pervasive doubt that we can actually find true happiness, true satisfaction of life. And so where must we go to satisfy our deep hunger for life? Where can we go to find fullness of life, to find fullness of joy? Where do we go? We must turn to Jesus. Because Jesus of Nazareth is a person, the person, overflowing with fullness of life. When people were in his presence, he overflowed with life. He touched broken people and they became whole. Shameful people had their sins forgiven. People walking in darkness experienced the light of life. Jesus of Nazareth is filled with life and he has the final and true and good and helpful word on how it is that we as humans can find that deep soul satisfaction of the life that we long for. And so here's the big aim this morning, okay? In John 6, here's what we're going to see, okay? If you take away one thing, this is the one thing I want you to take away, okay? It's this. Jesus, part view, Jesus comes to us in our deepest hunger, so we must come to him. Jesus has come to us to satisfy us in our deepest hunger, so we must come to him. He's come to us, so we must come to him. And the outline is this, okay? Jesus is going to show us our deep hunger, and then he's going to reveal God's true bread. He's going to show us our deep hunger, and then he's going to reveal God's true bread. So let's first look at the deep hunger that we have. Look down with me at verse 24. At verse 24, this is what it says. So when the crowd see that Jesus is not there, nor his disciples, they themselves get into boats and go to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, why is this crowd seeking Jesus? Well, if you flip back and look at the very beginning of the gospel of John chapter 6, what we see is they're seeking Jesus because of what he had done for them the day before. See, the day before, Jesus performed this amazing miracle, this amazing sign of taking five loaves and two, five loaves of bread, two fish, and then feeding more than 5,000 people. Amazing. And John 6 states that every one of the 5,000 people, they ate their fill of the loaves. That's what the text says in John 6. Their hunger was satisfied with the bread that Jesus provided. Yet here we are, a day later, right? And they're hungry again. They are looking for food. There's no high V back then. Okay, there's no Trader Joe's. There's no refrigerators. There's no Cap'n Crunch cereal or Lucky Charms or oatmeal or whatever, scrambled eggs, whatever your breakfast choice is, okay? So they're hungry. They need to eat again. And so they go to the one person they know who can fill their bellies with bread. Look down at verse 25. When they find Jesus on the other side of the sea, they say to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
This is super important. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Here, Jesus is exposing their hearts. He's exposing their true hunger, their deep hunger. And the first reason for their hunger is this. So they are utilitarian when it comes to Jesus. Notice, they are seeking Jesus for what he can do for them. That they ate their fill of loaves yesterday, and so now they're coming to Jesus the next day and saying, hey, you're the bread guy, okay? It's been about probably 24 hours. We're hungry. We didn't have Captain Crunch in the morning, okay? We, we, it's, it's food time, okay? When did you get here, Jesus? Because when you, we should have been here because we're hungry. Can you feed us now? Jesus is saying, you came to me not because you saw a sign, because here's the deal. Even though they saw Jesus perform a wonderful sign of his loving provision, the Gospel of John, okay, the signs that Jesus performs, these miracles, are pointers, okay? When you see a sign, right, it's pointing to something, right? And it's to look to Jesus and to compel people and convince them to trust him as the one and true God who's come to rescue his people. But these people, even though they saw that sign of the feeding of 5,000, that, that God himself in Jesus is the provider of what is good, of the life they need, they miss the sign and they go to Jesus seeking him for what he can do for them. Seeking Jesus because he can do something for us that fulfills our appetites. Seeking Jesus because he makes our life more bearable, more easy, more comfortable. Parkview, this is not a first century problem. This is a 21st century human problem. Sure, most of us, I assume, have bread in the pantry. Most of us have eggs in the refrigerator and all the food that we need. So maybe it's not food, but we so often relate to Jesus not in terms of loving worship, humble adoration, and faithful trust of who he is. We relate to Jesus based on what he is able to do to meet our desires, to fulfill our physical appetites. We are spiritual utilitarians, using Jesus to fulfill our needs to make us happy. Here's how this plays itself out in my life. For me, I preach a lot of sermons, okay? And uh, each month I have about four, sometimes maybe five sermons to preach, okay? What that means is there's a weekly deadline that I must finish my sermon notes and ready myself for the preaching of God's Word. Now this is a task I love. Amazing. I just love it. I'm so thankful that I get to preach Jesus from the Bible to people. Amazing. But if I'm not careful, here's what happens. As I prepare sermons, I can start feeling emotionally rushed, okay? The deadline is Wednesday at 8 p.m. I've got to have a sermon ready to preach to the college students, okay? And what I find is Monday, I have meetings, okay? So sometimes Monday, and I can't quite get to my sermon prep. Uh, and then it's Tuesday morning. Maybe I have some more meetings, okay? It's not until like Tuesday afternoon. I feel a bit emotionally rushed. And then so what happens is I go to my sermon prep, since it's gotten pressed, pushed back, and I have limited time, and so I'm hasty with my sermon prep. So what happens is, then the times I should be using for my own personal devotion to the Lord, enjoying Him through meditating on His Word, and enjoying Him through prayer, what happens is I start using those times, the times I should be enjoying Him through the Word and in prayer, I use those times to make Jesus useful for me to help me preach a good sermon. And so the prayer, the focus of my prayers is less on how much I am enjoying God, but more on, hey God, can you help me find that third point? Lord, can you help me? What's that better illustration for that second point? Uh, 
the time I go for the word is how can this be used in my sermon? So in the end, the thing that ought to be deepening my love for Jesus is actually used to make me become someone who is successful in the eyes of other people so I can preach a good sermon. Jesus, help me. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. That's how it plays itself out in my life. But what about you, Parkview? Where in your life are you seeking Jesus not to enjoy him, but to use him? For your own benefit. Now, it's not wrong to ask. Don't get me wrong. Ask Jesus to help you with daily activities. Ask Jesus to help you with things. Good. We should, we should cast all of our cares upon the Lord because he loves you and he is your sovereign father who is working all things for your good. Amen. But if the primary reason we keep going to Jesus is not to enjoy him in friendship and love, but to use him for our own good, it's like a friendship at work with your coworker. And the only reason you ever go to your coworker is for them to help you with a project that you're working on. Not to actually build friendship with them. Or the times when I was a freshman year of college, when I would call my mom, not because I wanted to talk to my mom, but because I needed something from mama. Hey mom, can you help me with this? Hey mom, can you please? Hey mom, does that make sense? That's what happens with the Lord. We see, we can use Jesus for our politics. You see, Jesus aligns with our conservative agenda or our liberal values. And so he helps us get our political candidate in office. We relate to Jesus because he ultimately affirms our political stance. Or we use Jesus for our consumer habits. We like the Jesus that wants us to have an abundant life, which for us means a life filled with comfort, ease, and lots of material possessions. Because he's the one who gives us the grace to spend our money on whatever makes us happy. We use Jesus for our own good. Truly, truly, Parkview, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you had your fill of loaves. In Parkview, we're still hungry, aren't we? We are still hungry because it never quite works, does it? It never quite fulfills a tool for your own use and not a person to enjoy. You can't quite be satisfied the way you want to. So how does Jesus respond to us? How does he respond to us when we are misguided and misunderstand who he is and seek him for what he can do for us instead of enjoying him? Well, look down at verse 27. He shows us the real reason we're so hungry. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because on him God the Father has set his seal. So here Jesus shows us the second reason we're so hungry. First reason, we're utilitarian. Second reason is we're terminators. No, we are not the bug spray guy who kills the ants in your house, and nor are we Honor Schwarzenegger, okay? That's not what I mean. But look again at verse 27. Here's what I mean. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Humans have a hyper propensity, according to Jesus. What I one of the things I love about Jesus, he's just so honest with what's going on in your heart. You ever realize sometimes you don't even know what's going on in your heart? The good news is that Jesus does. And he, in his love and mercy, is just going to expose that to us right now. We as humans have a hyper propensity of having our desires terminate on this worldly stuff. Seeking to find our satisfaction, contentment, and fulfillment to fill up our hungers with the stuff of this world. And if you give yourself to this consistent cycle of trying to find satisfaction of life in this world, you will always come up empty. 
You are working for the food that perishes. You are striving. You are exerting emotional and physical energy towards things that in the end will lead towards death. Because if you seek to satisfy your hunger for life in work, what happens when the job performance review comes back negative? If you seek to fulfill your deepest hunger and satisfaction in life in your spouse, what happens when they inevitably, as a person broken by sin, will disappoint you or hurt you? If you seek to fulfill your hunger and sexual pleasure, you will only find yourself in a deeper pit of despair, secrecy, and self-loathing. If you seek to fulfill your hunger and the consumption of the American dream, what happens when you don't get that promotion? What happens in your life when your kids choose the path that's radically different than what you plan for them? What happens when that next vacation actually does not fill that deep longing for rest in your soul? Because it never will. Part of you, we too often work for the food that perishes. And Jesus is saying this. This is our deepest hunger. Like my friend who once made a delicious, wonderful sandwich, took a realize he had just eaten a massive piece of mold. So we also are people who look at good things and we try to terminate our desires in these good things and we come up empty. We are pursuing and working after food that perishes. We consistently keep eating moldy bread and we wonder why we are dissatisfied and Jesus shows us why. Look at verse 7, 27. Verse 27, he says, we are made to work for the food that endures for what? Eternal life. You're made to live forever, Parkview. You are made to sink your teeth into that which lasts forever. And that's why when you try to sink your teeth into stuff that will die, it will never satisfy. There's an aching and longing in your soul, an infinite ability, eternal life. And here's the good news. The Son of Man will give it to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. If you pick up a package of food, and there's usually a seal on it that shows it's authentic, right? That's the real stuff. Well, God the Father. God the Father who has fullness of life. God who created life and who gives life, the Lord and life giver. He has set his seal on someone, the Son of Man. And in him, you will find life. Jesus is saying this. There's a food you can eat that will give you life forever. Life the way it was meant to be lived. Life connected to God, the life giver, in fullness of joy and satisfaction. Do you want that life? Do you want to eat that food, part of you? Here's a question. How do we get this food? Well, how do these people respond? Look at verse 28. Then the crowd says to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus, if you're right, and there's food that will be eternal, and we must work for it, tell us what the work is, because if we do the work, we'll get the food. Tell us, Jesus, which Jesus does. Verse 29. Here's the work of God. You ready? Here's the work that you must do to enjoy eternal life. You ready for this? You got to work. Here it is. Believe. Believe in him whom God the Father has sent. So basically what Jesus is saying, it's actually no work. It's not something you do. It's something you receive. It's something you believe. Someone you trust. You exchange your exhausting pursuit of food that will perish for the food that is life. In verse 30, they say to him, then what sign do you do, Jesus, that we may see and believe you? If believing in you gets us the food of life, then, then you have to do a sign so then we know that you're authentic and real so then we can believe in you. So what, what is it? What's the work that you perform? Verse 31. 
they say, because here's the deal, Jesus, our fathers, in Exodus 16, when they were rescued from slavery in Egypt, and before they entered in a covenant relation with God, in Exodus 20, uh, there's a story of our fathers wandering in the wilderness. And while they were desperate and so hungry and needing nourishment and provision, guess what? Our fathers were given bread from heaven to eat, Jesus. That was a sign. You see, that's what God did back then. So what sign do you do, Jesus, for us now? And Jesus flips the table and says this, verse 32, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, who gave you the bread from heaven. But look, look where he goes. But my Father gives you, gives, present tense, right now, gives you the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus says to the people, you do not need another sign because the heavenly Father has already given a sign. And the sign is this. It's he who comes down from heaven and gives life to those who keep terminating their desires in bread that perishes, in the stuff that will die. This is the bread you must eat. This is the food that will satisfy your deepest hunger. And so they say, sir, give us this bread always. We need this bread. We want this bread, Jesus we are hungering for this bread. We have been searching for this our whole life. We want this bread. It reminds me of what atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell once wrote. He said this, The center of me is always and eternally a terrible pain, a searching for something beyond that the world contains, something transfigured and infinite, but I don't think it is to be found, but the very thought of it is my life. He is searching for something beyond what the world contains, or what author C.S. Lewis says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I am made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Parkview, we are searching for something beyond what this world contains. Aren't you? Aren't you exhausted? of not being satisfied, of waking up in the morning and the first thoughts are just what is wrong with your life, the discontentment in your life, the breakdown in your relationships, the things that aren't going right in work. We are looking for something beyond this world that can satisfy our hunger. Do you remember the quotes I said earlier? The authors and social critics, life's full of empty promises. Life is overrated. It's a battle and we're generally unhappy. Is life worth living? We try to find fullness of life in the stuff of this world, and yet our hearts hunger for something beyond. So here's a thought. Both Bertrand Russell and C.S. Lewis, both philosophers, they're pointing out something really crucial. They say humans are searching for something beyond what this world can offer. So here's, here's a question. What if something beyond the world, in another world, came to us? Another way to put it is this. What if someone from the other world brought us the life that nothing in this world of death could offer? Look down at verse 35. Jesus says to them, and as the living Lord, he says to you today, Parkview, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Later, Jesus says this, I am the living bread that what? Comes down 
from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Heaven, the world of love and life. Someone from that place, Jesus of Nazareth, he has come, the Son of God has come into this world of death to give us the bread of life so that you can sink your teeth into Jesus and finally find that satisfaction that you have been longing for. We are hungering for something, Parkview. Relationships that bring emotional support and strength Work that gives comprehensive meaning, money that grants security, pleasure that thrills our soul with excitement, entertainment that invites us into a story that will never end. The list could go on and on. We are seeking for that which satisfies. But what happens, right? The relationships break down in disappointment and pain. The work becomes a terrible personal burden. The money is never enough. The sex never can truly bring you the happiness that you long for. The Netflix show will actually come to an end. We are people starving for food. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ did not come into this world to starve you to death, but to give you food for life. Jesus came to give you the true food, the true bread, that you can sink your teeth into Jesus and have durable satisfaction forever. He came from the glorious life of heaven to suffer a horrific death on a cross. Why? So that you and me, who keep terminating our desires on the things of death that do not last forever, we can have our hearts forever satisfied with what? With being reconnected to God. Reconnected to the God of life. God our Father who loves us and who has created us for life. The way it's meant to be lived in fellowship with Him and love for our neighbor. Parkview, Jesus says this, I have come down for heaven for you to give you the life that you always dreamed of but that you by yourself have never been able to attain. And so, Parkview, what we must do in response is what? Come to Jesus. Verse 35, he's the bread of life. Whoever comes to Jesus will never hunger. You come to Jesus for satisfaction. Parkview, what are you hungering for? Are you hungering for a relationship that won't end in disappointment? Well, then actually you're hungering for Jesus, the Lord of love who will never leave you or forsake you. Are you looking for a job that won't be filled with the mundane emptiness of the nine to five? You have Jesus, the master of a kingdom. And in that kingdom, you have a role to play, the great adventure of advancing the gospel here in Iowa City and beyond. Do you hunger for a healing that will get rid of the shackles of shame and regret? You have Jesus, your redeemer, who suffered a death on the cross to cleanse you from all of your sin. Are you hungering for rest, Parkview? With anxiety and wanting a calm of your mind, you have Jesus, the shepherd, who will take upon himself the burdens that you carry. Parkview, are you hungering for life, for fullness of life? It is in Jesus. It is in Jesus, and you must come to Jesus. So the application of this sermon is come to Jesus, because he is offering you right now, through the authority and love of God's word, that he is the bread of life, that he satisfies you. Some of you have not yet tasted Jesus. You're not yet following Christ, and the offer to you is very simple. Receive the life that Jesus offers. Exchange your life of death and misery for Jesus. And he will give you his joy. And he will give you his life. It's the great exchange that Jesus wants to give you today. For those of you who have been following Jesus, but you say, wait, I'm not satisfied. I still hunger. Well, of course you do. Because while the core of you has been satisfied, there's still a need to keep feeding. That's why God's word is called food for our souls. 
There's still a need to keep feeding on Jesus. Some of you who have been following Jesus, the last time you had joy in Christ, maybe what was like seven years ago, it's because you've put the bread in the cupboard and you've stopped taking it down every day to eat. You need to eat every day, dear Christian, the bread of life. So here's the reality. Christ has come down from the life of heaven into your dissatisfaction with this world of death. And he's come to give you life. And so what we must do is come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who gives us life. Lord, I pray, Lord, right now for these dear people. Father, I pray for those who are not yet following you, who have not yet tasted and seen the Lord is good. That today, Lord, today they would see that Jesus offers them fullness of life. That the reason that none of this stuff here in this world satisfies is because it's never meant to. It's to be a window through which we look to see Christ. Lord, would you call them to yourself right now? And Lord, I pray for those who have been following you but are, have been in a season of deep discouragement and spiritual dryness and discontent. Oh Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you refresh them with the provision of Jesus, with Jesus, the bread of life, who satisfies forever. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful that in you, in you, we have life eternal. You satisfy Jesus. You are worthy of all praise. Amen.